how can we spark revival in the hearts of our young people? Louis Giglio is our guest this week discussing what every leader should learn from the fruitfulness of the Passion Conferences. It's all on episode 78 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Well, thanks for tuning in to episode 78 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Andrew Hess, your host, and this week we're talking with Louis Giglio. Louis is the pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta, Georgia, but he's most well-known as the founder of the Passion Movement, which draws together 60,000 students from around the world together uh, for these amazing dynamic conferences. We talked to Louis this January marks 20 years of passion, and so I asked Louis about some of his favorite memories uh, from those two decades and kind of also asked him about his vision for the future. And so it's a great interview. You know, we've had Louis on before. He's outstanding, full of energy. And so now here's our conversation with Louis Giglio. Well, Louis, it's such a, an honor to have you as our guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thanks for being with us today. Andrew, thank you so much. I love the chance to be with you today and with everybody who's listening in. Yeah, as we as we talk today, we are about a month away from Passion 2017. So I know you're excited. Tell us kind of one thing that's on your heart as Passion draws close. Well, I mean, the thing that's crazy about this year, Andrew, is this is going to be the 20th anniversary of Passion Conference, which is absolutely mind-boggling to say that out loud. And, you know, the thing about it that's crazy is we are kind of on the same wavelength we were on in 1997 in Austin, Texas, when we opened the doors for the first time. And that is we want to see something catalytic happen on college campuses. And we're praying that this will be more about just having tens of thousands of 18 to 25-year-olds in the Georgia Dome, but it will really be about what happens as a result of that. And so we're gathering in Jesus' name, but we're praying that people will be scattered and that thousands and thousands of movements will start, whether that's a local campus ministry or someone planning a church or moving to an unreached people group or taking up their place in commerce or some other stream of culture, but with a different viewpoint. And people always point to a guy like Matt Chandler, who was sitting in a seat at Passion when the trajectory of his whole life changed, or David Platt, who leads the International Mission Board, uh, Brooke Frazier, who got a Passion CD in New Zealand as a high school kid. And people always point to people like that, but there are hundreds, thousands of people all over the world right now doing significant things for God because of the experience that they had, the encounter they had with him. So we're leaning into, you know, all of what it takes to get tens of thousands of people into the dome. But uh, we're also really believing for what it's going to look like when those tens of thousands of people hopefully are a part of the next wave of movements that change the next generation. Yeah, I th- and I think one of the things that's so fascinating is, you know, we talk to all kinds of leaders who— um, would say that, that they're really working to inspire the, the upcoming generation, college-age young adults, but really find it to be a struggle. What makes passion different? Well, I wish I knew the answer to that, Andrew, and as you know, 20 years in, I probably should, but I, I'm not a thousand percent sure, and I think that's one of the things that millennials like, that we don't have it down to a formula. If I were to tell you what makes us successful reaching millennials, and millennials wouldn't like me anymore— <laughs> because it would sound gimmicky and it would be maybe. So I don't I don't fully know. I I know a thing a few things I think it could be. 
Um, I think that passion's about big ideas, and big ideas suck people up into their wake. And passion has refused, because of the power of the gospel, to invert the gospel and make it about me. And I think that's intriguing to millennials, to walk in a room and hear a story that's so much bigger than their life and their thinking and what their plans are, and somehow it has the power to absorb them up into the a big story. So that's one thing. I think that we've been consistent has really helped us uh, with the millennial uh, mindset that we we don't change the narrative every year. It doesn't look like we're trying to come up with a new gimmick uh, to to get them to come to our deal. But if you took a snapshot, I always say this, but I really believe it's true, and a lot of people won't understand what I'm talking about. But if you took a photograph with real film. And you can go Google that, what that means. Um, and you took a picture of Passion 97, and you took a picture of Passion 2017, and you took the negatives and laid them on top of each other and shined a light through them on a wall, you would almost see the exact same image. The clothing might be different. Uh, some of the songs would be different. But everything about the tone, the tenor, the message, the heartbeat would be the same. And even the core verse, Isaiah 26, 8, would be the same. And I think consistency has really helped us. And then somehow, and it's an intangible, and I know intangibles often aren't that helpful to people because it's not, it's like, how do you reproduce an intangible? But there's a believability factor, and I don't know how you create that other than being believable. Uh, Millennials have been disappointed, and they've disappointed themselves, and they smell out you know, contrived uh, fast, but yet somehow they're they're drawn towards, you know, I believe this guy. I, I believe that they believe what they're talking about. I believe they really are committed to these ideas that they're putting forward. And I think the big ideas, the consistency over time, and whatever that intangible, you know, ethos, as, you know, Socrates called it, or pathos, whatever those intangibles are, I hope they're in the mix because we genuinely do believe um, in in the reason for passion, which is not commerce. It's a it's not a money maker. It's not just to have events. That's not really our business. It really is us trying to serve eighteen to twenty five year olds and help them win in the end by living their lives for the things that matter most. Mm, I love that. And when you think of passion, you think of the amazing uh, worship and cultivating a heart of worship in young people, what do you think are some of the greatest obstacles today of, of creating that heart of worship? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, you think about heart of worship, you think about David. Um, there's not too many people that God chronicled in life that he said, David is a man after my own heart. And we know that a lot of the songs that are attributed to Matt Redman and Chris Tomlin and other great songwriters are actually written by David. Um, if David's, you know, royalty stream could somehow get down to his <laughs> traceable ancestors, they would be doing really good right now. But so what did David have going? Well, David was a shepherd boy, as far as I can tell, out in a field by himself with God when he said, when I consider the stars, the sun and the moon, the work of your fingers, what you've put in place, then what is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him. And he had a heart of worship. All he had was maybe a, a crude instrument in his hand, or maybe a really nice instrument in his hand, and the universe around him in a dark night, in a quiet moment. 
and somehow his soul was stilled and awed at the greatness and the magnitude of God. And so I think that probably the greatest obstacle to worship is that we're very rarely alone. Uh, We're very rarely um, in a position where we can be overwhelmed by the size of the galaxies or the sound of the waves. We're in a busy culture with a lot of static and a lot of noise. And that typically causes us to miss out on the, the rhythm of the universe and the rhythm of the universe. You know, David also said when I um, he said, um, oh, my mind's going blank right now, but he was like, look at the stars. You know, who created all these? That's uh, I, actually Isaiah. We're on a leadership podcast. I got people know I know my scripture well. But he says, I'm going to read it. I have my scripture right here, which is handy in this moment. This is probably one of my life passages I've taught out of a million times. But it's the end of a day, and leaders know what that feels like when your brain is a little toasty. Hmm. But this is what he said. He said, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And so the universe, I believe, has a whole lot to do with inspiring us. And then David didn't know what the cross looked like. So when you put the cross in the mix with the stars of the sky and the sand on the shores of the sea, then you have all you need to worship God forever and ever and ever. The, the work of his hands and the work of his hand on at the cross, including the resurrection, are what you need. So great obstacles to cultivating a heart of worship is bad eyesight, not being able to see the cross, not being able to, again, stand in awe of the empty tomb. And when those things are in view, your heart beats with gratitude to God, and worship is what happens. And so I think you cultivate heart of worship with good theology that's centered around the cross, and you never get over it. And if you get over it, that's a whole different problem. Mm-hmm. Are there daily habits that you think every leader should have in place to, to do what you're talking about? Well, you know, I think probably um, if you were to ask me, you know, Louis, what are your daily habits that help you do that? I probably would come up with a, an answer that you would say, yeah, we're, we're not going to have you back on the leadership podcast. Because, again, they're, they're fluctuating, variable, and somewhat intangible. It's not that, boy, you've got to have 30 minutes before 7 o'clock every morning, and if you don't have that, you're not going to make it. Um, I think it's more about a noticing Jesus in the midst of life. And so I do have daily habits. I had a great um, time alone with God this morning. It's Advent season. I love to journey through Advent with an Advent guide. Um, That really encouraged me today. I could probably say five things that uh, came from that that really stuck with me, breathed life into me today. But it's also about the other 23 and a half hours of today. And I've always been a believer in time alone with God, a quiet place, a closet if you have one, disconnecting, no phone, just you and God and the Scripture, the Spirit of God to lead you. But there are 23 other hours in a day, and if people don't know how to find God in the 23 hours and to notice Him in the fabric of life and acknowledge Him in the fabric of life, then I don't think we're going to have that kind of intimacy. The, the goal of life is to walk with God, not just simply to have a 10-minute quiet time with God. The Scripture always talks about walking, so that means whenever I'm awake, I'm conscious of God, and I'm aware of Him. I take little moments to pull away, even in the midst of people, and acknowledge Him, recognize Him, and let Him speak to my heart. 
And um, so I think people would say the obvious things. You need to be in the Word of God. Of course we do. You need to carve away time of quiet. Of course we do. But I think it's more about noticing God in the rhythm of life and having an ongoing conversation with Him in the closet and outside the closet that makes the difference. I really like that. I think, you know, it reminds me of practicing the presence, um, that classic work. Amazing. Um, Yeah. Another great Andrew, by the way. (laughs) Yes. You know, as leaders, there's times where we feel like, you know, we're targets. The more upfront we are, the more um, we feel like we're targeted by the enemy. Um, You know, we hear about pastors who are struggling. What are, what are the things that we should do as leaders to safeguard ourselves uh, from the enemy's attacks? Well, I mean, again, I think that um, putting ourselves in, in the flow is the best thing. I mean, every, um, the higher we go towards our dreams, I mean, most people listening to this podcast, I would assume are not listening to it because they want to lead less or they want their ministry, church, organization to shrink or uh, nobody's probably listening going, you know, my next church or my next ministry, I really want to move to a smaller church or a smaller ministry, unless they're at a really, really big church, and then that might be real, real appealing. But if our dreams come true, if God puts his hand of anointing on our lives, if we are able to influence more people, then the triangle gets steeper, and we end up in rarefied air at the top, where no one can get to us, no one can talk to us, Uh, No one can talk back to us. Uh, There aren't any questions asked like, hey, am I doing okay? Is there anything you think I could be doing better? Is there anything that you see that you think doesn't look right? So that's the A part. But then there's very few people at the top of that steep pitch that you feel like you can be honest with. And I trust me, everyone at the top of every organization is struggling. Um, they are battling for all the things that we all want to battle for, but the steeper the pitch and the higher that triangle goes, there are very few people because at some point you're like, wow, everybody's listening to me. So what if I really honestly told someone what I'm struggling with today? Would that disqualify me from being listenable anymore? And so people stop allowing people in that space. They stop sharing what they're struggling with. They don't have a lot of feedback loops in their world, and that is a recipe for a disaster. And so I think a leader can do two things. A leader can find somebody they can trust. There's got to be somebody on planet Earth that every leader can trust, and it may take time to cultivate that relationship, but somebody that you can say to, hey, I need you to pray for me. I need to be honest with you. I need to tell you this. And obviously, if it's some major thing, then that's a whole different story. I'm just talking about the struggles of being human. And then secondly, they've got to create space where they say to people around them, so what do you think? And let people talk without defending every single thing they say. And those two things get us in a good place. They keep us in view. And being in view is where we need to be. And when you disappear and you're out of sight and out of mind and out of view for people, you know, bad things are typically going to happen. Hmm. Let's talk about, uh, you know, 20 years of passion. It, it's, a, it's really an amazing thing to think passion's been going strong for 20 years. As you think back over the last 20 years, are there moments that stand out to you that are kind of some of your favorite passion moments? Wow, Andrew, that would this would be a series. Um, <laughs> it would be really hard for me to say, you know, one or two of those. And as soon as we end this 
uh, conversation, I'm going to walk away and I'm going to go, oh my goodness, why didn't I think about about X? There are so many great ones, though. I mean, being on a field in Kampala, Uganda, uh, was pretty powerful in the world tour in 2008. We went to 17 cities and 16 countries on every continent except Antarctica in um, three different one-month runs and each city would pray for the next city so if we're in sao paulo brazil and the next city we were going to be in was london the kids in sao paulo would flip their wristband over that got them into the venue and on the side underneath it would say london in the date and it was just powerful to know going into london maybe a day later or three days later whatever it was that there are you know five thousand ten thousand whatever college students in sao paulo brazil praying for the 4,000 college students that were going to gather in London. And to see that circle of the world was powerful. But we were in Kampala, uh, kind of a, you know, crazy situation. We were on an intramural field that we had to pay to put a fence around so we could have some measure of security. It's 30,000 college students uh, at this gathering in Kampala. Amazing. And we were headed to Paris. And so Kampala is maybe the poorest uh, city we went to. Paris, the richest city. And to see those 30,000 Kampala students start chanting in the middle of one of the nights, Paris, 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 and to see them give an offering, I think it was like six million shillings they gave, which I think was only $1,500. But the thought of that, of the poorest city giving to the richest city, and then going to Paris two days later, being at the smallest event we did on the whole world tour, uh, 1,200 students. It still was a 360 moment. I mean, every kid in there had their phone out and was slack-jawed and doing the whole video around panoramic because they were like, I've never seen 1,200 college students in Paris gathered for Christ. And to play the video to them of those 30,000 students in Kampala, you know, that's really what it's about. It's about a global generation it's about, it really is about the Jesus generation uh, united. And it's not just, you know, Topeka, Kansas and San Jose, California and, you know, Richmond, Virginia. It really is every language, every tribe, every nation and every tongue. And to be able to see that in real time in 17 cities in one year's time was pretty stunning. And, you know, there are a million other memories. I'll tell you one other one that's never happened to me before or since, but we, the fourth year of Passion, we did an outdoor event in Memphis, Tennessee called One Day 2000. We didn't even want to put the name Passion on it. We didn't announce any speakers. We didn't announce any bands. We, it wasn't like an fe outdoor festival. We didn't tell anybody who was going to be there. We said, if you want to come pray for your generation, ask God to stir your generation, then come be on this field. That's all. And if you don't want to come, if that's not enough to get you there, then don't come. If you need to know who's speaking and what bands are playing, then this is probably not for you. Well, 40,000 students came from every state in America, a bunch of countries. We really literally got on our knees on this field in the misting rain and cried out to God for this generation. And there was a lot of buildup. So people came two days before. They camped in different areas before this day happened. No one was allowed on the one-day field until the morning of May 20th. There'd been a wooden tower built on it, and students had been reading the Word of God for 24 hours over this field. It was holy ground. And that morning, it was misting. People started coming to the field and gathering, and no Frisbees, um, you know, just people with their hearts really already broken. And 
it just felt so powerful. There was a tent beside the stage, and I remember uh, Matt Redmond, Beth Moore was standing there, John Piper was standing there, uh, Vody Bauckham was standing there, Crowder, uh, Chris Tomlin, and I don't know who was supposed to kick off the day, but whoever it was said, I, I, I don't know, I feel like I don't want to start the day. Maybe somebody else could start. And instead of it being the moment where people were like, gosh, this is amazing, 40,000 people, I can't wait to get up there and do my thing. It was just one person after the other saying, I'm not going up there. I'm not going up there. Well, I'm not going up there. Well, you go up there. I'm not going up there. I don't want to go up there. Nobody wanted to step in and with their humanity <laughs> ruin the power of this holy moment. And I think we ended up on our faces, on the ground, in this tent, just saying, Lord, somebody's going to have to go up there, but please put enough grace and enough mercy on them that they don't mess up the wind of your spirit that's blowing in this place. And the whole day was like that. Obviously, I'll never forget it. And I could probably tell a hundred more like that, that to me are just, there are moments that, you know, just kind of take your breath away, literally. And we've seen a lot of them, and I pray in God's grace, we'll have a whole lot more. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was going to ask you about is, as you think about the next 20 years, are there things on your heart that you're like, man, I would love to see God do this through passion, you know, in another 20 years? Well, I thought after that one day event that we were through. Hmm. In fact, we didn't do an event the next year because we thought that God had called us to be igniters of a revival among college students in America, of which there are about 20 million right now. And we knew that we didn't have time to do, we were 2,000 the first year, 5,000 the second year, 11,000 the third year, 40,000 the fourth year. And we thought, I did the math of how long it would take us to get to 20 million. And I was like, God, people, we don't have that much time. People don't have time. People are dying right now without you. And so we thought, well, maybe this is it. We took a year off and the Lord was like, no, this is not it. And so here we are 20 years later. So, you know, Andrew, I don't know. I know that's not the answer I'm supposed to give you today, but I, I don't fully know what all the next 20 years looks like. I never dreamed there would be 20 years. I just know that if God calls, we're going to answer. And when he leads, we're going to follow. And at the end of it, the hope is that students will have a 180 in their life. Passion is, is known for worship, but it really is rooted in theology. And what it's rooted in is a, a 180 from our me-centered theology to a God-centric theology. The core of it is that life's not about me. Life is about Jesus. Heaven's about Jesus. The Bible's about Jesus. The church is about Jesus. Salvation's about Jesus. The cross was about Jesus. Everything is about him. Now, I'm in that story, and that's the miracle. But the story isn't about me. It's about him, and my life takes its greatest meaning when I use it, whether it's five seconds or five years or 55 years, when I use it for Jesus' fame, then my life is going to garner the greatest meaning it can garner. And we want that to be true of students who are in the Georgia Dome in a month from now for Passion 2017. We want it to be true of students five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. So on the conference side, that's it. On the church side, you know, for seven years now, we've had Passion City Church um, we want to plant churches that reproduce that kind of theological DNA around the city of Atlanta and around the world. So I hope in 20 years there's a bunch more churches that are thriving somewhere with that same heartbeat. Louis, what's one thing that, that leaders can learn from the Passion Movement? 
Probably, uh, I, I think the main thing a leader can learn from the passion movement that I, I've learned from it is that we overestimate what we can do in a year and we underestimate what we can do in 10 years. Uh, most people are thinking, man, this year we're going to, boy, it's going to be lights out. And you can do a lot in a year, but people underestimate what they can do in 10 years. Durable vision is the key, I believe, to fruitful, I mean, lifelong fruitful ministry. And so you can't be somewhere two years, somewhere else three years, somewhere a year in between, then somewhere else for two years, and then go do this for a little while. That's why at 50, we planted a church. I planted a church at 50 years old. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy talk. But I did it because I was convinced that God wanted me to, A, and B, that I could produce the most amount of fruit through my humble life by being in one place the longest amount of time with one group of people reproducing more people. And so durable vision, what, what is it that you're thinking about that is going to be the same next year and the year after and the year after? So yeah, change the skin. Make sure you're being creative in the way that you communicate. Make sure that there's something fresh about what you're doing, but don't change the vision every day. Don't change the whole landscape every day and stick with something long enough to actually see the fruit of it come to pass. And you don't have to do it 20 years. I mean, some people are three-year guys, and I know the, I know five-year guys, and I'm kind of an 11-year guy, so passion's an anomaly for me. It's the only thing I've done longer than 11 years so far in my life. But even being an 11-year guy, you get to see a lot of seasons come and go, and you get to see the fruit of the fruit. And when you start seeing the fruit of the fruit, I think that's where, you know, that's where the money is in leadership. So don't get itchy feet. Don't keep thinking it's better on the other side of the fence, unless it is. I mean, if you're in a place that there is no fruit, then maybe you got to get out of that place and get somewhere where you can bear fruit. But if you're in a fruit-bearing place, stay with it. Uh, keep breathing life into it. Make sure that the garment always stays flexible for the new wine. But at the same time, I think that's one great lesson people can learn from passion. Love it. Thank you so much for taking time to to share with us. Our whole team will be praying for amazing fruit at Passion this January. And uh, just thanks for taking time to, to share with us this afternoon. You're welcome, Andrew. And hey, they wanted me to mention there's a discount code. Now, this is a no one could ever figure this out. Maybe this is just for this podcast, but Passion 2017. So Passion 2017 in the code box, $20 off the current price when it's redeemed. So anybody listening that thinking you want to come to the Dome and you want to get a discount, that's the way to do it. It's great being with you today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll link to that uh, code in the show notes as well. Thanks so much, Louie. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Louis Giglio for joining us this week as our guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and consider sending this episode to someone in your life who would benefit from listening to it. Also, you can download the show notes for this episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. In those show notes, we always include resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guests' top content on churchleaders.com. As always, if you have ideas for guests we can talk to you next, email us at podcast at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.